With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago. How are you doing, John? Okay, how about yourself? Doing all right. Recording this on what has turned into a very busy Monday morning of uh, motorsports news. I'm sure we'll talk about that here in just a little while when we get to the news portion of our show. We've also got some listener questions to get to and a look ahead to the World Endurance Championship race in Shanghai in the final segment of the show this week. Did want to mention we had some racing over the weekend with the FIA Motorsports Games. Dan Lloyd was on site at Vallelunga for us where Japan won the GT gold medal in wet conditions. It was a fascinating race until we had some extended safety car, and ultimately the race ended under safety car. But it was a lot of fun uh, watching the drivers and teams try and figure out which tires to go on, wet or dry, and mixed conditions. And sometimes it was raining and sometimes it wasn't. And and anyway, the uh, Japanese team was able to come out with the gold medal in a car that was run by FFF Racing, a Lamborghini. What a season that FFF has had. And so for more on all of uh, what took place at Vallelunga in the motorsports games, check out the website uh, for the recap there of uh, Japan winning the gold in GT. It's also worth mentioning that Russia got the most um, medals and ended up at the top of the medal chart across the six different disciplines there at the games. So more to be found about that at the website. But I know, John, you were following from afar. What was it that stood out to you about this kind of revamped version of what we've seen in the past with the Nations Cup and, and moving on to, to what it's becoming, uh, which seems to be a pretty neat event? Yeah, I, I was. I have to say, the first edition of the, the first and only edition of the GT Nations Cup that was held in Bahrain last year seemed a bit underwhelming. Um, I wasn't there either, but just following it from afar, there it it was. You know, obviously a pro-am racing environment. Um, the silvers and bronzes, um, racing GT3 cars. It didn't seem that compelling. But this whole event, how it was put on, um, this was entirely sanctioned run by SRO. They have the contract to, to run not only the GT3, the GT Cup, um, but all the other categories. I think there were six total this year with plans for more um, next year. I think the next year's edition will be in Marseille at, at Paul Ricard. But nonetheless, I, I uh, tuned in for the opening ceremony in Rome, and it was it was like a, a full Olympic-style, you know, uh, opening ceremony with with the drivers with, the, with their flags and national anthems and I, I was blown away by the professionalism um, by how everything was run um, obviously uh, when the FIA puts their stamp on it, it it's always going to be a big event and you can see the level of investment they've put into this and um, you know I, I think this is definitely an event that we're going to be watching in the years to come is it um, there's tweaks, I'm sure, on the way and, and maybe some other um, new categories, um, maybe not necessarily more sports car categories, but, but to sort of combine the world of motorsports into an Olympic style competition is something really cool. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what how this builds in the years to come. Yeah, it was really neat uh, to see the growth. And I would say, too, the SRO knows how to put on a big event. We saw that with the banquet yeah. in, in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago. So not a surprise, especially with uh, the FIA involvement as well, to, to see them really pull out all the stops and to have the Coliseum as the backdrop for the opening ceremony. It was really, really neat. So, uh, again, a whole lot more can be found on that at sportscar365.com. 
Com. But let's uh, turn our attention to the news of the week. And, and I mentioned, John, that it's been a busy morning for several reasons. One of them, definitely sports car related, because as we record this, just within the last half hour or so, we got word that Kyle Busch will be making his Rolex 24 debut, driving for the Aim Vassar Sullivan team and one of their Lexus RCF GT3s. Really cool to see the NASCAR star power coming back to the race. We've had some big names in the last couple of years, and this is a, a debut that I think a lot of people are going to be paying close attention to. Absolutely. Um, this is something that's been in the works for, for a little while. I'd, I'd heard snippets about Kyle and potentially Denny Hamlin um, joining the, the, the team for the Rolex 24. It's my understanding Denny is not able to now because I think he's going to be undergoing shoulder surgery during the offseason. So um, it was announced uh, Monday morning at, um, at Lexus and Toyota's annual Motorsport Day event in uh, Plano, Texas. That's the North American headquarters for Toyota um, uh, Motor Company, uh, North America. And it was announced that Kyle will be part of the Aim Vassar Sullivan team. Um, no co-drivers in announced yet so basically this is the fourth driver seat in the team um, that's been previously taken up by others in the past including scott pruitt who has now recently been retired so um we're it's pretty clear that this is just a one-off um for daytona but it's exciting news to have a a top flight nascar driver back in the series um and back at the rolex 24 i think um, Jeff Gordon was obviously the the most recent one, but he was at that point. I think he was retired yeah. from NASCAR. So I'm trying to think, trying to go back to think the last active NASCAR driver, high profile. Okay, we've had AJ Allmendinger, but um, no disrespect to him, but it just just um, somebody of the caliber of of a, of a Bush or a or a Gordon. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson has, has raced in the past, but. Um, Anyway, great great news all around. Um, patiently waiting to find out the rest of the lineup for Ambassador Sullivan. We know that Jack Hawksworth will be back for a full season. Looks like Parker Chase will most likely be one of the silver-rated drivers, bronze-silver um, AMs in the lineup for the season. Richard Heinstead, I believe, is um, going elsewhere for 2020. But, um, yeah, um, great news all around and great to see Lexus um, taking advantage of their uh, uh, their association with um, Toyota. Well, their, their partner. <laughs> it's all, all in one company, sure. more or less. But um, good to see, you know, that kind of leverage being used to help raise the profile for their Lexus uh, GTD, GTD effort. And what I think is cool is that it's going to be in the GTD class. So often you get these star drivers come in and they, they race in the top class. And that class already gets a lot of attention media-wise, TV-wise during the broadcast. And uh, I think this is going to shed a little extra light on the GTD category, which is awfully stout. It's been some of the best racing in the championship the last couple of years. And I also think it's kind of neat that, that Kyle doesn't mind that he's racing in the bottom class. He's going to be passed more than he passes, um, which yeah. he's got to be un- unused to. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see his hear his thoughts on all this, especially when he first gets on the track with multi-car um, racing. And, and I, I think that first chance will be at the roar. So um, I'll be patiently waiting to see what he says, because um, he usually speaks his mind when it comes to a lot of things. So um, uh, really looking forward to, to seeing how he uh, how he does. Well, speaking of IMSA, we have one more IMSA event left in the 2019 calendar year with Michelin Sports Car Encore. We recently had the entry list unveiled with 18 cars. That's down from 20 last year. But I think the good news is, unlike last year, we do have some GT3 entries, and especially in those GT3 entries, to me at least, John, this looks like 
a possible glimpse into the future and what some of the 2020 driver lineups might look like? Yeah, so we had the formal entry list released for the Encore. They extended the entry deadline um, by a few days. I think they were hoping to get some last-minute entries. It seems that it's not been the case. Um, 18 cars for the weekend. But like you said, um, I think the biggest story is the GT3 lineups. We have four different GT3 cars, uh, entries from Wright Motorsports, Paul Miller, Black Swan, and Riley. But I think the one that turns the heads the most is probably Paul Miller and uh, news that Madison Snow is back with Brian Sellers, and that came as a pretty big development over the over last week. I think it was announced on Friday um, that Madison is being allowed, permitted to race with Brian. Um, we had this whole controversy this time last year where Madison was classified as a silver by the FIA, but IMSA came out with its own um, updated list. They reclassified a couple of their drivers as they can do per the rules. And Madison was one of those that got bumped up to gold and prohibited him from competing alongside Brian to defend their title in 2019. So my understanding and speaking to some, some folks at IMSA is that they've elected not to, um, to they, they basically elected to honor the FIA's rating of, sil uh, of Madison's rating of, of, of silver for the, at least for the time being, we, I, don't have confirmation that this is for 2020, but if they're doing it now, I think it sort of means it sounds good for, for 2020. It's looking good. Um, and, and the reason for them honoring it is sort of comes down to a, a, a new line in the sporting regulations for 2020, stating that um, drivers that bring budget to programs are more or less considered gentlemen drivers in, in the aspect of being bronze or silver. And, and Madison had previously bring in, brought budget to the Paul Miller team, um, despite his, his very strong pace behind the wheel. Um, this, you know, could is probably going to open up a huge can of worms in terms of the driver rating situation, because on the other end of the spectrum, we're expecting Trent Hidman to be upgraded to gold. And it's my understanding Trent brought some budget to the the Michael the Meyer Shank Racing team maybe not as much as uh, as uh, Madison but where do you draw the line with that um, and and to be clear we haven't gotten the final ratings from the FIA yet nor any updated lists from IMSA um, the FIA has kind of sort of done this undercover um, this year compared to recent years where they usually had released a provisional list publicly to everybody this time they released that list internally. Um, to the drivers that were adjusted, and then they have time to, uh, to, to protest that or, or file a, a, a claim. So we won't be seeing the list from the FIA until it's a finalized list, which should be sometime early, I think either, I think it's early next month. So um, interesting times for sure. Um, that's a long-winded answer <laughs> to, the, to the, Paul, the entry list here for the, the the Michelin and sports car encore, but um, definitely interesting lineup there with the, the 48 car um, with uh, Madison being reunited. And then also with Wright Motorsports, um, Ryan Hardwick, he'll be getting his first laps in that car, having been announced for next year um, from what we understand as a two car program at Wright um, with Anthony Imperato, the other um, 
am driver, part of that program in the second car. Anthony's not racing at the Encore, but um, we have a couple other guys joining Hardwick with Max Root, um, a former Porsche Academy winner, I believe, and um, Jan Halen, who's always a, a longtime coach and, and co-driver, um, has been part of the right team in the past. So, um, yeah, other, other GT3 entries, um, Tim Pappas making his return, uh, to the wheel in the Black Swan Racing Porsche with Mark Miller and Spencer Pompelli and also Gar Robinson and Lawson Aschenbach talking about preparing for next year. That'll be their first time in a Riley um, entered Mercedes AMG GC3 um, after selected outings in a Lone Star prepared Mercedes this year. Yes, so that again is what we were making reference to earlier, perhaps a glimpse into the future. Some of these lineups we already know are in store for next year, and others, there's some balls in the air, but uh, it is cool to see some of this come together. Uh, 18 cars for the Encore. I know that we, we have a third edition of the Encore already scheduled for next year, but uh, is this still accomplishing the goals that IMSA has for this event, and, and at what point does the viability come into question if the entries aren't coming in the number that uh, I think we all would have hoped for. Yeah, I, I think that it's definitely, from my point of view, it's a disappointment. Um, I think IMSA was looking for more entries. Um, we can't quote them on that because I haven't talked to anybody at IMSA about this specifically since the entry released, but um, I know there was a possibility of, of uh, a couple TCR cars from, from Brian Herta Autosport. They ultimately elected to pull out at the last minute because there were no other cars in that class and they didn't want to run by themselves. So um, there was a possibility to maybe equal the grid count we had last year of 20. But still, you know, it's a tough one because you're at the end of the year, your budgets are always tight teams are looking towards next year and and you do see some of these lineups as preparation for 2020 especially in lmp3 there's some new uh, driver pairings there there's some new teams running some different machinery there um 10 total lmp3 entries which is great to see and and in gt4 there's four cars um so you you know it's a tough one i i think let's see how the weekend goes let's see how many you know what, what the vibe is in in the paddock and um you know, I, I personally, at, at a time when when IMSA's str- talking a lot about cost reduction and, and ways to make this more viable for teams, I, I'm not a huge fan of adding new events. And this event last year was more or less for teams to learn the new Michelin tires. And I think that was mission accomplished. Great way to integrate some of these you know, teams that have never run on Michelins before into the new Michelin Shad um, um, series, you know, for, for 2019. This year, uh, well, I don't know, but it's good to see GT3 cars and it's definitely going to make an interesting race because um, I think GT3 and LMP3 are going to be sort of battling neck and neck for the overall win. And um, that, that'll be a, a quite a cool sight to see. Yeah, that'll be something to tune in for. And again, the the race will be streamed on IMSA.TV. So, we do have that to look forward to to help get us through the off season. You did mention some changes to IMSA regulations earlier, and we had a couple of different things come out uh, here recently, included amongst them IMSA announcing that a bronze driver is going to be required for LMP2 looking ahead to 2020. Yeah, this is something we sort of heard for the last few months. Um, there was initial talk of it maybe just being for the Michelin Endurance Cup races. Um, now IMSA has formally committed 
for the full season. Um, mind you, the full season is really seven races for LMP2. Seven out of the 12 um, Weather Tech Championship rounds are eligible for LMP2 cars. Um, six count towards the full season championship. So it's all those all the races except Daytona. Um, Daytona still counts towards the Endurance Cup, if that does, if that makes any sense to, to people. Um, it, it gets a little convoluted, but this is all based on competitor feedback. And um, I know PR1 and Performance Tech, the two teams that have sort of hung, stuck it out in, in LMP2 this year, they've been a major driving force in the reshaping of the regulations for LMP2. Um, since then, we've had some good news with some other teams committing. Um, Dragon Speed committed for Daytona and Sebring, I believe. We have another team that's going to be announced formally in December with an Orica. Um, we also have the NASCAR team, Rick Ware Racing, joining with a, a, a Riley, um, the, the X-Bar 1 Riley LMP2 car. So, you know, we're looking at a grid for, of you know, at least five, six cars, I think, for the, the, the long races, if not for the, the rest of their season. Um, bronze driver mandate does seem to make sense. I think, um, you know, we don't see it in any other LMP2 category other than the Asian Lama um, LMP2 AM Cup, which is uh, previous generation machinery in, allowed in that series um, via a, a, a bronze mandate. But with the way the situation is in America, I think that... Um, there's always a way to sort of have a dist distinct advantage in LMP2 if you bring in a super silver, perhaps somebody like a Matt McMurray or a or a Kyle Masson, for instance, and um, it could sort of skew the results a bit. And um, this year was fine because I think both teams are pretty evenly matched throughout the year. But if you get into the point of next year where you have more teams, more drivers, it, it, it could open up a, a bit of a problem and could actually scare away teams from from competing. So I think IMSA did the right thing. Um, the other interesting thing that they've changed with LMP2 also is that platinum rated drivers are not allowed for the full season either. So, um, well, bronze is mandated for the season. Br platinum are prohibited, except for the Rolex 24, where you're allowed only one um, platinum driver. So um, that's an interesting development as well. Um, I know these regulation changes has affected one team from entering. There was a, a former prototype challenge operation that was looking to, to enter a car and uh, one of their drivers was silver instead of bronze. And that is not allowing them to take part in the season. So there are pros and cons, but um, I think for the most part, I think it's a, it's a good choice. So all of that information coming from the recent release of the sporting regs from IMSA and in our story that focuses primarily on LMP2 and this bronze driver mandate and several other factors uh, in the LMP2 regs, there's a lot of other uh, tidbits in there as well. So if you're looking for some of the changes that were made in the offseason, head over to SportsCar 365, click on that story, and everything is in that story for you. Another topic to cover on the show this week at the FIA Motorsports Games. We mentioned the SRO's involvement in putting them on. Stefan Rattel, of course, was there and spoke to the assembled media and had some interesting comments about the changes that have been made in the sporting regs for the North American Championship, SRO America, most notably the elimination of the pro class in what uh, has been known as Blancpain GT World Challenge America. Uh, John, I thought the, the comments were insightful, certainly gave us some 
look into how Stefan views this championship and what he's trying to do to invigorate it, what did you make of what he said? And also, I suppose, could you highlight some of the, the highlights of, of what he told the, the assembled media? Yeah, he was pretty candid in his thoughts, and a lot of it actually made sense. Um, in, in the couple of weeks since his announcement at the at the SRO um, gala in Las Vegas that the pro class will be eliminated, we're all, we were all sort of left scratching our heads thinking, well, why um, is there a statement? Can we talk to somebody? And 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 we I haven't been able to, to get, been able to talk to anybody within SRO America in the week since um, Stefan making that announcement. And so, luckily, um, our, our Daniel Lloyd was able to catch up with him during at the motorsports games and pose these questions. And um, Stefan really likened the the change in America to what's been going on in some of his other championships, including GT World Challenge Asia, um, which he claimed was basically overrun by, quote, billion dollar, no, um, which he claims was was, um, overrun by, quote, these billionaire funded teams um, that would hire European or Australian drivers to try to win the championship. And it sort of um, made the the Blancpain GT Asia championship a bit hard, um, you know, in, in terms of the car count in, in GT3. A lot of those teams went off to Intercontinental GT Challenge for this year. Um, they suffered a, a decrease in car count initially, but it grew over the course of the season. He's seen that every market has its own uniqueness. And I think that he sort of decided that for the time being, at least, that America needs to be a pro-am series. Um, I know it's a big shock to everybody, but at the end of the year, we only had four um, pro cars with the two K-Pax Bentleys, one Wright Porsche, and then the R Ferry Motorsport Ferrari, which went on to win the championship. Um, it looks like K-Pax is probably going to be leaving. They're, they're looking at potentially going to GT World Challenge Europe with the Bentleys. Um, Wright is a bit up in the air right now because they have two cars set for the WeatherTech Championship. So, um, there's a distinct possibility that if the pro class remained for next year, there'd only be one or two cars to begin with. So um, I think refocusing it on Pro-Am makes a lot of sense. Um, Stefan sort of admitted that IMSA is the superior championship right now for GT3 cars in America. He said, uh, quote, in America, IMSA wants the pros. It wants the factory racing and let's let them have it. Um, so that's some pretty telling quotes from from Stefan on in, in, in regards to how the GT3 landscape is in North America. And I'm pretty sure if you ask him to the same question, they won't actually agree with you, agree with him on that because um, GTD is definitely trying to be run as a pro-am series in the WeatherTech championship. Um, on the surface, it's pretty clear that it's really not the case as much, um, especially looking at today's announcement with Kyle Busch joining the field for the Rolex 24. But um, nonetheless, I, I think that um, it's interesting times for uh, World Challenge America. We'll, we'll see what the grids will look like. Um, the reduced six-round calendar gives the series and teams a lot of time to prepare to try to figure out how to rebound after this challenging year uh, season won't start until CTMP in May. So I think it's 200 days away still. Um, so that's quite an off season for a lot of these teams to try to figure out um, ways of, of uh, getting budgets together, or maybe additional cars, some new teams coming into the series. There's been some interested European teams potentially coming over to, the, to America, including um, ACA ASP, 
Um, Dan had a great story on that on Sports Card 365 over the weekend with uh, team principal Jerome Polycand um, expressing interest in fielding a, a, a GT4 car in Pirelli GT4 America and potentially a GT3 as well. So um, I think that we have to sort of put our faith in Stefan for now and, and see what happens. Um, this has definitely been a, a radical shift in the format. Um, GT World Challenge America has always been about pro or factory teams up front. You know, just a few years ago, we could look at the Cadillacs and, and the factory Bentleys run by Absolute, you know, and, and it was really, you know, at a pinnacle of GT3 racing in America. This was before GTD really even took off. So um, things have definitely changed over the last couple of years. And um, we just sort of have to wait and see how it all unfolds. And I think his most telling quote in the story was talking about where he wants to position this championship in the hierarchy of the the North American landscape. He, He mentions that you have huge grids in series like Porsche Cup and Ferrari Challenge at about a half a million dollar budget for a season. That's the number that he gives. The IMSA uh, budget is five or six times that, and so to find a niche somewhere in between that could prove to be a jumping-off point for a amateur driver to try and get to IMSA, but to have that professional or semi-professional step in between, uh, that seems to be the niche that he's looking for, and, and I actually think that is fairly inspired to properly identify a hole in the North American market. Absolutely. And and we've sort of seen it this year with GT World Challenge America, with the Pro-Am class. We saw numbers grow in that category um, this year with, with the the entrance of, of several new Acura teams and, and the DXDT Mercedes and, and some other teams on a, on a per-race basis. So I think he has something here. It's just trying to make it all work. And the problem is there's teams that commit for a full season and then they back out after a couple of races or they have sponsorship issues or driver um, drivers go elsewhere. And so it's hard to keep that sustainability. And um, right now, it's really important to, to listen to the teams, see what they have to say and and um, and really react accordingly. And and I hope that these are the right moves to, to sort of rebuild what what used to be an incredible sprint race championship. Well, the final topic for discussion on uh, the show this week comes from an interview with Giorgio Sana, who heads up motorsports at Lamborghini. And we've known for a while that they are evaluating prototype racing with hypercar and DPI. And coming out of that interview, it sounds like a convergence of the two is going to be critical for potential Lamborghini involvement moving forward. Yeah, and I think that could be said for a lot of other manufacturers. I think we've had similar articles on Sports Car 365 about this from Mark Rushbrook from Ford. Um, you talk to even um, manufacturers like Cadillac. Um, Mark Kent, the director of GM, he hinted uh, similar things. Um, Porsche has been pretty uh, talkative about that as well, as they had been in, they initially had been in discussions on, on both ends of the spectrum as well before taking a step back um, in recent months. But um, out of all of the, say, manufacturers, perspective manufacturers for prototype racing globally right now, I would say Lamborghini seems to be the most interested. Um, you know, we've heard talk for years now about McLaren looking to enter hypercar, and and quite frankly, it seems to have gone a bit quiet. Um, we had Porsche that was 
pretty interested in hypercar until uh, about the midsummer. Then that went quiet. Um, there was um, some internal decisions there to, to put a, a potential program on hold, um, not necessarily on hold, but just not pursue it any further. Um, meanwhile, Lamborghini has been quite serious at this this possibility, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a commitment sooner rather than later from the Italian manufacturer, uh, maybe even before uh, a convergence could even be agreed upon. But you look at the landscape of where things are headed, and the WEC has two manufacturers right now with, with Toyota and Aston Martin. We don't see any other ones on the immediate horizon. Um, you know, Lamborghini did unveil this this hypercar during their world final weekend, but it was stressed that um, that car is not be going to be raced. It's not the basis of a hypercar race car. I, I think it's more or less just another uh, item to, to sort of showcase Lamborghini's strength for its um it's a road car high performance department, you know, of the company. So if I had to put my, my bets on anything, I would say Lamborghini is steering in the direction of a DPI and um, they, they could very well be one of the first manufacturers to commit to DPI 2022. We'll have to wait and see. Well, hopefully all of this pressure for manufacturers to get to a point of convergence that hopefully is the impetus that is needed. I think we're all in agreement that, uh, that would really be a boon to sports car racing. So it sounds like a lot of people are interested. The discussions are happening, and maybe this extra bit of pressure helps get that done. We shall see. Uh, it's been a busy week in sports car racing news, in motorsports news. Just this morning, got the news that uh, Roger Penske had uh, purchased the Indianapolis Motor Speedway along with IndyCar. So curious to see what ramifications that may have for sports car racing, most notably the fact that the SRO's new Intercontinental GT Challenge round that was uh, announced moving from Laguna Seca to Indianapolis may be in- impacted by this, maybe not, who knows, it's too soon to say most likely. Also have stories about Michelin being confirmed as the tire provider for the hypercar class, and John already mentioned ACA ASP's North American racing plans. You can find more on those stories and others, of course, at sportscar365.com. But for now, let's take a quick break. We've got listener questions to get to next on Double Stint. Hi, I'm Jeff Siegel, and you're listening to Sportscar 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time to get to some listener questions. And, John, the first one comes to us from Matt. He wants to know... Would you be able to take a guess or provide some insight, if known, on sports car drivers who might be on good money in terms of salary, he writes, either from a manufacturer or team? He says you don't need to specify a specific name, such as X driver is racing for Ferrari and earns such and such amount of money, or Aston Martin driver or whatever. But any insight you can provide on what salaries look like for sports car drivers, that's what Matt's interested in learning about. Yeah, it's it's a very um, varied uh, spectrum, I think, between certain drivers and certain manufacturers. Um, you know, there there are manufacturers that definitely are are that pay out more than others, but then there's exclusivity contracts, for instance, like. Take the Acura Team Penske drivers, for example. Um, Dane Cameron and Ricky Taylor, for instance, can't drive any other car besides an Acura. So that's why you saw Dane in the, the NSX GT3 in, in GT World Challenge America this year. And Ricky, um, I think he did a, uh, well, he did LMP2 at Le Mans, but that was a 
because there was no other Acura competing in or Honda competing in that class. There was no competition. But um, drivers that have more exclusivity contracts are usually paid a little more. In general, the the ballpark numbers, and I'm again not naming any kind of names of what these, you know, how much each driver makes specifically, because frankly, I don't have a chart. I don't have a list. Um, you just sort of hear things, you know, from time to time. Uh, I would say a factory driver is in the range of a, at least 150 to 200,000 a year U.S., um, if not a little more. Um, uh, a, a non-factory driver could could end up maybe, you know, 15 grand a weekend, 20 grand maybe. So it all depends on a lot of circumstances, depends what um, class they're in, what team they're driving for. Again, if there's um, if there's certain clauses in their contracts that don't let them drive at other, other things, um, we know that um, you know, there's some manufacturers that are more lenient than others. You know, you've seen Audi, for instance, let guys like Mike Rockenfeller go race with Corvette. And uh, Marcel Fassler was another example as well. And um, here's a DTM star with Rockenfeller racing for another major brand. Um, and that's been OK. So I don't know what the financial agreements are in regards to that. But um, bottom line is it varies a lot. But I, I would say, you know, a full-time driver in sports car racing would be making probably at least a hundred thousand dollars. That's probably an easy way to put it. And, um, you know, a pro- professional driver, let's be clear with that. And, um, factory drivers obviously would make a, a, a significant, could make a significant margin more as well. All right. Good question. Thanks for writing in Matt. Next question comes from Sean Scooter Roberts. He writes, has Goodyear expressed interest in supplying tires in GTLM? Will GTLM slash GTE Pro ever use carbon brakes? Can be converted to Ferris brakes for GTEM to save costs, he says. Yes, Goodyear has expressed interest in GTLM. Um, they actually un- and they were announced as a partner with the Brabham Project um, that was uh, it's still apparently on track to make a GTE spec car, I think, for 2021, 2022, for that season of the WEC. Um, there's the possibility that car could go hypercar, but now with the news that uh, Michelin is the exclusive hypercar tire partner for the next three seasons, that doesn't... Um, that contradicts what the Brabham announcement was. But nonetheless, um, yes, Goodyear is interested. Um, they actually put a bid in for the hypercar uh, tire as well as good as well as Michelin. But um, I'm not sure if we can see any manufacturers switch in the short term from Michelin to Goodyear for, for GTE, GTLM, but it definitely wouldn't surprise me. And while we're on the topic of GTLM, GTE, we do know that Goodyear will become the single tire manufacturer for the GTE class of the European Le Mans series next year. So that will basically bring those tires back to Le Mans and, you know, Goodyear is going to be developing tires for that platform anyway. So it does make sense that there's going to be a supply available, um, a GTE slash GTE AM tire is obviously not to the same spec i believe it, it's a little bit of a, a previous generation kind of tire compared to what is used in gte pro or gtlm but um definitely good years on the right track there and um to answer your second question about carbon brakes i i really don't know i don't have an answer to that but um if we ever have a, a, a situation of, of convergence between GTE and GT3, that might be a good opportunity, or um, who knows what the costs would be involved with that. Um, but 
yeah, I, I haven't heard anything specifically. Okay, thanks for writing in. And our final question comes from Tarek Ramchani, who wants to know, what do you think about the FIA GT World Cup at Macau? The field is strong, but the circuit isn't a good one for big GT3s. Don't you think we already have a GT World Cup at Le Mans with the very best from the WEC, IMSA, and ELMS? Well, you, you bring up a really good point about Le Mans. I never thought about it from that perspective. Um, certainly, in terms of car count, I think they're about the same. We had 16 or 17, I think, uh, GTE pros at Le Mans this year. We have 17 GT3s for Macau this year. Um, the levels are very similar, I'd, I'd have to say. Um, more manufacturers were at Le Mans than in Macau. Um, that's that's for sure. But, um, yeah, my, uh, personally, having having witnessed Macau for the first time last year it, with my own eyes, I, I probably agree with you that it's probably not the best track for GT3 cars. I think it still deserves a race. I still d- think it deserves a, a GT3 race, maybe even GT4. But to have a World Cup event there, I, I'm, I still scratch my head over it. Um, I personally, I, I think it would be great to maybe have a rotating World Cup every year, have a, have a race in on a different continent each year, almost something like the Motorsport Games is planning to do with moving it to a different location each year. Uh, maybe even have it be part of the Motorsport Games um, uh, scenario, uh, you know, package for for the event i don't know um but it's it surprises me that every year it keeps coming back um, i know there's a couple manufacturers really behind the concept and they really enjoy the exposure they get in the market and and the promotions and the, the backing that that comes from macau and and all the that comes out of that event so um not i'm not gonna be you know banging the the door saying we need to leave we need to get rid of gt3s at macau just saying that maybe the world cup could be held somewhere else and if it was up to me i, I would like to sort of see it at a different track every year no argument for me i think the, the fact of the matter is they're there because of the prestige of macau not because it puts on a great race and that's a bit of a shame for an event that is trying to be the well that is the the world cup of its um specific genre so anyway uh good question thank you for writing in and if you uh listeners have a question for us next week you can leave a comment to the comment section or use the hashtag ask double stint on twitter and we'll address your question or comment on our next show let's wrap it up john by looking ahead to the weekend we've got the world endurance championship headed to shanghai we've seen the latest success handicap so that's uh one question already that uh, I have for you about what what you're looking for this weekend, um, and then just your your general impressions as you get set to, to head over to China. Yeah, so the Toyotas are now slowed to 2.74 seconds per lap in the latest success handicap uh, uh, adjustments. That's I, I believe about a second, almost a second slower than they were in Fuji. How that all works out um, is still a bit unknown. We we saw. An interesting race in Fuji. Um, the rebellions were still not close. To, well, the rebellion. There's only one of them now for the rest of the, the bulk of the season. Um, it still wasn't close enough to the Toyota. So I think there's a lot of people thinking that this weekend it's sort of winner bust for rebellion because when once you reach a certain point in the the, the my understanding is that once you reach reach a certain point with the points table, there's only so much you can be dished out in terms of this success handicap and Toyota is rapidly approaching that. So I don't think they're going to be able to be slowed any more than they are after Shanghai. So it's probably the best chance for a 
non-Toyota to win will be this weekend in China, and we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, 31 cars on the entry list. We have an additional um, Proton Racing car entered uh, with uh, Vince Abril leading the lineup there, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, we also have some driver lineup changes. Um, Paul DeResta is back with United Autosports after missing the um, the race in Fuji. We also have Jordan King in one of the LNT Genettas uh, making his first start with the team. He's replaced um, GP fellow GP2 ace Luca Gerato in the lineup for the Chinese round. Um, also, no uh, no sign of Chris Dyson yet. He told me he has business conflicts this weekend, but he will be in the car in in uh, Bahrain for the eight hour. Um, he recently had a seat fitting with um, Guy Smith and Charlie Robertson, who will be his co-drivers there. Um, but in terms of the rest of the field, yeah, um, looking forward to to seeing how it all shake shakes up. Um, I think. You know, our, our eyes are definitely going to be on LMP1 yet again to see if this magical success palace will do its job. Um, but um, frankly, I'm not really too uh, uh, confident, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yep, that's why they run the races. We'll find out together. All right, that's it for us this week. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have a few moments to help us out just a little bit. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week with our next edition of Double Stats. We'll be right back.